Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more, actually a lot more this morning, about this gift of prophecy. I've thought of some more things to tell you. And I know that uh, there are questions, and people are experiencing varying degrees of frustration, confusion, uh, all manner of things. Some people are excited and so forth, and that's wonderful. Uh, but next weekend, we're, I'm going to take questions. So if you've got questions, bring your questions next week. We're going to talk a little bit more next week, and then we'll s- devote some more time to questions and answers about uh, the subject of tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and the other gifts. We're going to talk a little bit about those next time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Paul writes, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts or spiritual things, especially the gift of what? Prophecy. Now, he seems to highlight this gift. And and in the context of what's going on in Corinth, in the context of the letter, he's correcting them because they have been highlighting a different gift. They've been highlighting tongues. And they've been misusing that gift. And uh, the body has not been being edified or built up. So he says, rather than edify that, rather than than desire that particular gift, he says, I want you to desire the better gift. And the better gift is the more intelligible gift because the whole issue is intelligibility in the church. Uh, We don't want people not knowing what's going on. We want to give as much clarity and, and explanation and understanding as we can provide. And he says, prophecy is the gift to be desired. It is, the, in that sense, the paramount gift to be functioning in the life of the church. And for a number of reasons, and we're going to talk about some of those this morning, as we have last week. So he says, earnestly desire the gift of prophecy. Now, as I suggested to you last week, there was, there was a period of 400 years in God's economy of things between the close of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. 400 years when God did not speak to the people of Israel. 400 years, they're silent years. Now, certainly, uh, the Israelites had the scriptures, they had the law, they had the writings of the prophets, uh, but God was not speaking through the prophets any longer during that period until the New Testament, until Jesus comes on the scene and uh, and prophecy begins to come back to life, if you will. And uh, Jesus, in fact, was called the prophet uh, from Nazareth. He was called a prophet like Moses, he and John the Baptist, uh, and now begins, prophecy begins to move again in the first century. God begins to speak, and he speaks through Jesus. Jesus is the prophet, and he, Jesus begins to speak once again uh, to the people of Israel. And uh, Jesus' own words were that he came to fulfill not only the law, but also the prophets of the Old Testament. All the prophecies that Jesus was fulfilling, uh, he, he identifies them. And uh, th- that fulfillment was not only going to be in Jesus, but it was going to overflow uh, in and through the church because the church, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension to heaven, the church became the body of Christ. We are representing and really uh, evidencing Christ on the earth uh, with a Holy Spirit-filled church. Amen? We talked about that. So now it's the church that fulfills the prophetic word of God and how we function here on earth. And the New Testament gift of prophecy 
uh, was born on the day of Pentecost. And we read about that in the early chapters of the book of Acts, and particularly in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches his first sermon, and he quotes from the prophet Joel. And he says, in effect, that the Holy Spirit, or the, the, the power of God, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on, on God's people, on the church, and uh, everyone is going to prophesy. Now, that's a rough paraphrase, but you can go back and read the passage and you, you get that sense. Prophecy was going to be a major issue. Now, we said last time that New Testament prophets and New Testament prophecy differs from Old Testament prophecy in that the Old Testament prophets were called and they were commissioned to speak God's very words. Now, that's important. And God's very words carried an absolute divine authority. In the New Testament, it was only the apostles who had that same divine authority to speak and to write God's very words. So it was the prophets in the Old Testament. Now, remember, Moses was also a prophet And so Moses is responsible, we believe, for the first five books of the Old Testament. So that's called the law, the Pentateuch, the law and the prophets. So uh, Israel was meant to be prophetic. God's people are prophetic. They speak for God. They speak God's words. So the whole Old Testament is that way. The, The New Testament counterpart to the Old Testament prophet would be the apostle. And the apostles spoke the very words of God, and their words had that authority. Uh, New Testament prophecy, as we understand it here, from, as, Paul, as Paul describes it to us, New Testament prophecy is simply speaking merely human words, human words, as opposed to the very words of God, to report uh, something maybe God has brought to mind or put on someone's heart. So a New Testament prophet doesn't speak with the kind of authority that an apostle did, doesn't speak with the authority that an Old Testament prophet does or did. A New Testament prophet is speaking from God, for God, but not God's very words. He's speaking with his own human words. That's the distinction uh, I want to make sure that we get. We make that distinction between the divinely authoritative very word of God that became our scriptures and the words of the New Testament prophets that Paul says in chapter 14, verse 29, that have to be weighed carefully. So we, we hear a word, we receive a word, a prophetic word, something we think is prophetic. Again, it's not the very words of God, but they're human words, and we want to weigh them, and we're instructed to weigh them carefully. There is a qualitative difference between the very words of God spoken only by those with apostolic authority, which led to the New Testament scriptures and the inspired messages of prophets in the New Testament. So we have the New Testament scriptures, which come to us as a result of the apostles and apostolic teaching, apostolic words, speaking the very words of God. That's where we get the New Testament from. We get the Old Testament from the Old Testament prophets, which spoke the very words of God. Do you understand the difference? Old Testament, New Testament? So New Testament prophets fit in there, but the New Testament prophets are not the very words of God. 
and they don't come with divine absolute authority, and they are to be weighed carefully. We're going to talk about that this morning uh, at great length. Now, the question came up for me. Uh, someone asked this question, well, who, who can actually prophesy? It's a, it seems to be a little bit vague in Paul's instructions, and so we want to talk about that a little bit. Who can prophesy? Well, if the church, from its very beginning, in, on the day of Pentecost, from its day, the day of its inception, if the church, if we say this, that it was meant to uh, be of prophetic nature. Now remember, prophetic nature means simply speaking for God. Okay? We're, 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 we're representing God. We're speaking for God. We're speaking into people's lives, into the life of the culture, and, and so forth. If the church was meant truly to have a prophetic nature, and again, you go back to Acts chapter 2 and you read Joel's prophecy that, that Peter quotes, it would appear then, if this is true, it would appear then that the ability to prophesy is available to a few or to all? To all. all. Now this, this, comes, this may come as a, as a bit of a, a shock to some, but uh, because we tend to think just in terms of the few. But if the church was meant to have this prophetic nature, then it would follow, I think logically, that uh, all uh, would experience the ability to be able to prophesy. While acknowledging, if you go back to chapter 12 and verse 29, that not all are prophets. Remember at the end of the chapter 12, Paul asked those rhetorical questions uh, do all prophesy? Obviously, the answer he's expecting is no, because he's using the metaphor of a body with many parts, and all these different parts are, are, are necessary for the overall functioning of the body. So our definition of prophecy, speaking merely human words to report something God brings to mind, that would seem to allow for a type of prophetic utterance that is possible for every believer so I want to suggest to you that any believer may speak something that God has brought to mind. Does that make sense? So we would seem to allow for that. And I'm going to define that as simple prophecy. Now, this is my definition. You're not going to find the scriptures, but, but I'm just going to suggest to you that, that, that that's the case. And if you, if you go back to um, chapter 14, verse 1, you see, when he says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy, he's talking to the entire congregation. He's not limiting it to a few people. If you look at verse 5 of that chapter, he says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. And again, he's speaking to the plural, that, 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 that pronoun you is in the plural, and so he's speaking to the church. And then if you go to the end of chapter 14 and you look at verse 39, he says, therefore, my brothers, plural, be eager to prophesy. So I think that what Paul is suggesting there is that everybody should at least believe and expect that they can, God can give them something and they can speak prophetically. And again, this fits the context of what I suggested earlier, that the church has a prophetic nature. Now, if all should in fact, as Paul says, desire this gift, then we desire the gift for what reason? Do you think? Well, verse 3 tells us what? To sp- so we can, we're going to speak 
to men the things that God has laid on our heart or put in our mind to serve a particular purpose. What's the purpose? Strengthen, encourage, and comfort people. So, and all of us have, I think, experienced this, and and you may not have defined it in terms of being a a prophecy or something prophetic in that technical sense, but all of us, excuse me, have at some point been praying or or, or, or maybe someone has come to mind and, and, and you've gotten some thought for that person and, and maybe you prayed for them or maybe called them and say, you know, I, I don't know if this fits, but you know, I think maybe God may be saying something here. Uh, is, that, is, that, is that a fair statement? Most all of us have experienced something like that? No? Just me? Oh, okay. I thought, uh-oh, I'm going to have to retract something here. <clears throat> I think that's the case. And, and we find that, that, that these words may, in fact, be given and, and very often are given for specific circumstances, uh, specific situations. And most often, uh, those are, are, are very, very simple, straightforward. They're not complex. Just a simple word, a simple encouragement, a uh, simple thought or idea that God would bring to mind. Now, this becomes a matter of faith. You know, it, it's always the issue of, is this me or is this God, right? And most of the time, we, I think we tend to opt on the side of, well, it's probably me. I'm just thinking a nice thought. Uh, I, I think it requires a, a measure of faith to say, you know, God, are you speaking to me? Is this, is this from you? Do you want me to call or write a letter or do something to, to encourage, to comfort, to strengthen somebody? And uh, why not? Because we have nothing to lose, right? So let's do it. Let's take a step of faith and do that. Um, these things may include what's known as a word of knowledge. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that next time. And a word of knowledge, again, is something that will come uh, maybe in, while you're in prayer, either quietly in prayer by yourself or in a small group or in a large group in prayer. Um, and it would be specific information regarding uh, some physical, emotional, personal, spiritual status of someone that you know or maybe even don't know. Um, and occasionally these things may come as a vision, may come as a picture. You get a picture in your mind or a dream. Lots of people get dreams, and I'm forever talking to people say, you know, I had a dream. I said, well, I don't know what it means. You have to ask God. To God gave you the dream. You ask God what it means. And I don't, I'm not a dream interpreter. Um, but whatever comes, we follow Paul's instruction in verse 29 when he says all these things must be, what, weighed carefully. Weighed carefully. We don't want to run off crazy and and harebrained and so forth. We want to weigh them carefully, and we'll talk about that in a bit. And then there's a second second, uh, aspect of this, and there would be those with a clear prophetic gifting. So on the one hand, all can prophesy, all can do that, but then there are those who with a clear prophetic gifting. This seems to be the, the point of Paul's words in verse 10 of chapter 12 and in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, when he describes a spiritual gift that's given to some particular person to prophesy. So there's a specific gifting to do this, these people, I think, would be characterized by a more consistent, 
and more accurate reporting of things that have come to mind. The key is consistent and accurate. In other words, there's a greater tendency for these people with that gifting to be identifying and be speaking uh, this way. Now, Paul calls these things that are put on our heart, in our minds, revelations. So these revelations could come to these people also through dreams and visions and pictures, um, come simply with uh, words, with interpretation and specific applications. They would still, I think, primarily serve to strengthen and encourage and comfort, but also could include uh, correction and direction. So these are people who who have the gift of prophecy. But again, any word of correction, any word of direction also should be submitted uh, before the elders uh, before being spoken publicly. We don't want people just randomly speaking out and giving direction. You know, I... God has a word for you that you should go to thus and such, and then we just accept that blindly without weighing it and evaluating it. Uh, We don't want you going off someplace uh, without the elders saying yay and amen. Then there's a third group. Uh, you You also see in the New Testament what appears to be a third group of people, and these people ministered more regularly in prophecy They presumably were gifted, but they were actually called prophets. And uh, three examples come to mind. Agabus, we read about him in Acts chapter 11. He comes, he's a prophet who comes from Jerusalem down to Antioch, and Antioch is is the Gentile center of the church in the first century. He prophesies about a a famine that's going to encompass the entire Roman world. Later on, he'll prophesy that Paul shouldn't go to Jerusalem. We read in Acts chapter 21 about the evangelist Philip, and he has four daughters who are prophetesses. And their effect on the church in the first century is significant, interestingly. And then in Acts chapter 13, Paul says that in Antioch there were prophets and teachers. He identifies them, he names them, and one of them is a man by the name of Barnabas. Earlier on, Luke says in Acts that Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. And what is one of the things that a prophet is to do? Speak for encouragement. So we can assume then that Barnabas probably was a prophet. So we have some examples of people who were clearly identified as prophets. And these people will minister in a recognized, if not commissioned, authority to direct, to correct, and even to rebuke. And they, are, they must be proven people, uh, mature character, wisdom, and they may, in fact, operate in uh, other gifts occasionally, maybe the gift of healing, because we see this reflected in these passages in the New Testament, gift of miracles, the gift of deliverance, and certainly a gift of discerning of spirits. They can... Expose unconfessed sin. So in a very real sense, uh, it is possible for someone who is a prophet, who is recognized and acknowledged that way, to actually read your mail. (laughs) So you want to make sure when you're around those people that your life is together. (laughs) And they will regularly receive words, uh, dreams, visions, Uh, Very often, uh, they will receive very detailed information 
such as names, faces, facts, future events. And uh, the history of the church is replete with examples of these people who really do move powerfully in this arena, in this gifting. But all of these, again, must be weighed carefully. We're not going to just assume uh, they must be weighed by the other prophets, must be weighed by the elders. Uh, But the words of someone who is a recognized prophet, if you will, uh, those words would generally be accurate and they will be edifying. Now, if it's true, if, if the premise is true, that in genuine prophecy, human beings communicate messages from God by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, do we accept that proposition? Let me say it again. That in genuine prophecy, human beings communicate messages from God by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do we accept that? If that's true, and if it is true that when a genuine prophecy is given, it is in a very real sense, who is speaking? God is speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through a human agent, right? Now, men, remember, we're not going to get the very words of God, but God is, is in a very real sense speaking through that person. Again, language doesn't allow me to communicate the... the subtle nuances of all that, but you understand what I'm saying, true? Then I would think that it would be uh, to the church a matter of great importance if God wants to speak to the church. Now certainly he speaks to us where? Through, through the word and through uh, uh, biblical teaching and so forth. But if he wants to speak to us through prophets, and he's given the church prophets to speak to the church, to speak to individuals. And for what reason again? Encouragement, strengthening, and comfort, right? So if he wants to do that, then we should be, what, eager to do everything we could to encourage and strengthen the exercise of the gift of the prophecy in the church. Now the question is, why? Because God wants to do what to his church? Wants to build it up wants to strengthen it, wants the church edified. You read this, Paul's words. All these gifts are given for the edification, for the building up of the church. In other words, that the church is full of participators, not spectators, right? Everybody is gifted. Everybody's participating. Everybody's involved. And because everybody's involved in their gifting, and more particularly in this area of prophecy, the church can be built up. The church can be edified. People are encouraged. They're, they're, they're strengthened, and they are certainly comforted. Who, who of us would not, if you're in the midst of a difficult situation, who of us not, would not appreciate a word of comfort? Let's say that somebody's sitting across the aisle from you, doesn't even know you, and God, God just gives them a word, and, and, they, and they kind of bravely take a step of faith, you know, and they, and they go and, and, and say, God gives Art a, a word for Dale. And let's say that they don't really know each other. They may have greeted, and, but they forgot each other's names right after they greeted, right? <laughs> and so during the worship service, God speaks to Art. And totally unknown to him, Dale is going through some trial, some difficulty. And, uh, and, and maybe the word is, God says, he wants you to know that 
your situation is going to be okay. Now, on the surface, that would seem applicable to everybody. It would seem almost innocuous, a simple kind of a thing. But if, in fact, it's a word from God, it will resonate and minister to Dale's heart. Now, would you appreciate a word like that? I mean, you're sitting in the service, you know, and, 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 and you and Victoria are the only ones that know about your situation, and you're going, oh, and you're praying, and you're praying. And God just wonderfully gives you a word of encouragement. Would that not bless everybody if, if that were to happen? Because all of, us, all of us have issues, right? We're all fallible. We're all weak. We're all needy. And I don't say that to describe us as, as um, pathetic, though we are. I don't mean it to be a pejorative sense, but, but the reality is, is that we're all, we're all dependent upon God and, and how gracious he is to accommodate to our needs rather than just stand back and say, well, you know, you're just going to have to trust me and wait, you know. <laughs> I, I believe God is gracious and merciful and compassionate, and he loves to speak to his people. Clearly through the word, clearly through biblical teaching, but a lot of times it's just nice to get a personal, personal word. Is that, is that reasonable, you think? Anyway, that's my perspective on these things. So, if, if all this is true, then God wants the church built up and strengthened. He wants the church involved in the strengthening of the body of itself. And gives us all gifts and opportunities uh, to participate in that. And you, as you read Paul's words, he was insistent he was insistent that the Corinthians recognize prophecy for the valuable gift of God that it, that it is and that they eagerly desire it. And at the same time, we don't want to forget Paul's warning that our prophesying is also imperfect. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9, he says in the context of his, of his discussion on love, he says, we prophesy in part. So our, our words are going to be imperfect. These are human words. These aren't God's very words, as we made that distinction earlier. The best among us is an inadequate vessel for the pure word of God. And for the potential, and there is a very real potential for us to misuse either wittingly or unwittingly, this gift of prophecy. This was obvious, certainly, to the writers of the New Testament. Uh, Many places we read uh, that that we are warned to beware of those who speak falsely in the name of the Lord, and that we are warned to test the spirits so that we might reject what is not true and retain only that which is sound. And further, we are indeed to weigh carefully what the prophets say before taking action on their words. So given all of that, I still want to suggest that, we, that prophecy may in fact be a gift uh, that God wants you to function in. Or at the very least, uh, a, he may want to speak through you to the church or to somebody in the church uh, through a prophetic word. Or, in fact, you may actually be a prophet and not even know it yet. So we're going to explore all of that in, uh, in our future here. So in times of prophecy, 
In times of prayer, anticipate, anticipate that the Lord may want to speak to the church through you or speak to someone through you, and you should be ready to prophesy if inspired to do it. And again, this requires a willingness to take a step of faith. This is all a faith issue, but it's based on what we believe. God is saying, this is what I want to happen in the church. Now, if prophecy is to operate effectively in our church, it must be governed. For one thing, prophets themselves have both the ability and the responsibility to control their use of the gift. In verse 32 of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. So the prophet can prophesy, the prophet can remain silent, depending upon the needs of the situation. They have control over the way in which they present the message. So it's not like some people have imagined a prophet, they they just kind of go into some, some trance and they can't control themselves and they have to prophesy. It's like you're in twilight zone. No, 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 the prophet is in control. He's got control of what he says and how and when he says it. Furthermore, the, thought, the authenticity of a prophetic message is not to be presumed. So uh, a prophetic message comes, we don't automatically presume that it's accurate and authentic. Again, it must be weighed carefully. It is subject to the judgment of the church. Again, verse 29, Paul says, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And finally, as with all the gifts of the Spirit, the exercise of prophecy is always subordinated to the good order of the body. Again, in verse 39 and 40 of chapter 14, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So you have those three safeguards, if you will, the prophet himself, other prophets and elders and leaders in the church, the church itself, and this commitment to an orderly functioning. And of course, all of this, uh, the Corinthians were oblivious to, and Paul had to bring this correction to them. Now, about the discerning of a prophetic message. There's some principles I want to uh, just, uh, just share with you. Number one, we must be uh, concerned to distinguish between true prophecy, false prophecy, and non-prophecy. True prophecy, I think, is clear. It's simply a word from the Lord inspired by the Holy Spirit and accurately communicated by the prophet. True prophecy. Now, remember, true prophecy passes through fallible human beings, doesn't it? And therefore, it can suffer from some degree of impurity, Um, poor delivery, uh, poor syntax, uh, poor word usage. So despite that, we want to listen for and be attentive to 
the essence, the true essence of what God may be saying. Uh, Remember Moses complained to God, I don't speak so good. And a lot of people say, well, you know, I don't don't talk good and I'm afraid to talk out loud and all of us have that dilemma. Uh, But when God has a message where you need to be able to speak in the congregation, we need to be wise and, and, and careful to say, or what's, you know, the words aren't the most elegant words, the delivery is slow, it's stuttering, it's kind of frustrating, but what's the essence? Do we take that? Do we accept that? So, very, very important distinction for us to make. False prophecy is prophecy inspired by an evil spirit. Now, I want to suggest to you, I don't believe that that's going to happen, and I don't believe that it does really happen much in the church. I mean, if an evil spirit does happen to speak out, it's going to be very, very clear because you guys are really, really biblically astute and you're going to know when something's not right. True? So I don't think a demon is going to want to speak out in this congregation because I think they know they can't fake you guys out. Now, there are demons around all the time because they want to affect us in different ways. The whole point is to deceive us. And uh, they are in our midst even now. There's warfare going on as we're focusing this morning on this very, very important, significant issue. And very often I, I note that, uh, that the demonic activity when I notice people sleeping. <laughs> now you laugh, but I'm serious. I, I've, I've seen this over the years. I see people. You know, you come in and singing and worshiping and, and talking and fellowshipping and all sorts of things, and lively and so forth. And as soon as I say, open up the word, <laughs> I promise you, you need to see you guys from my vantage point. <laughs> so the demons are around. You just need to be aware. So if your neighbor is nodding off, it's not me. <laughs> it's simply that they're subject to other influence. Okay, so you might want to prophesy to them. Wake up. <laughs> Pay attention. False prophecy should not be, also, should not be confused with the more common non-prophecy. Very important distinction. Subtle, but important. And non-prophecy, by that I mean a message given in prophetic form. Sounds good. The content is acceptable. But it comes more out of the thoughts of the individual and there, rather than necessarily being inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit. It is also important that we not brand non-prophecy as false prophecy. It's simply non-prophecy. And we, we, we have that category. Uh, and it is equally important that we not casually accept non-prophecy as true prophecy. Does that make sense to you? If not, you can get the DVD or the uh, CD of the service. You get both, yes, thank you. Second, reliable testing of individual prophetic messages is difficult. Now, what I'm going to say is going to be confusing. So listen, please. Reliable testing of individual 
prophetic messages is difficult. And it is not the main way to test prophecy. You say, wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to test and weigh these things carefully. Yes, you weigh them carefully, but you're, it's very, very difficult, especially if you're inexperienced, to actually test an individual prophecy in and of itself isolated. What's necessary is a much greater exposure, much greater experience, multiple pro- uh, prophecies, multiple instances of prophecy where we get a greater, greater visibility, greater opportunity, and we learn to hear these words, and we learn to assess them. Does that make sense to you? So, especially in the beginning, and as we begin to experiment, and we begin to practice, what are we going to do? Practice. practice. We're just going to practice. So give people an opportunity, you know, to step out. We're not going to beat you over the head if you're, you know, give us a prophecy that's off the wall. We just say, well, that's very interesting. <laughs> If you hear that phrase, then you know it's probably not something that we're going to. No, it's more, it's more advisable for us to discern the word of the Lord by testing a multiplicity of prophecies from a multiplicity of sources over time. So what I'm suggesting, this, this is not a simple, easy thing. It, it's difficult. It's complex. And this is one of the reasons why many churches... Uh, don't even judge prophecies because it's so difficult and they have complex issues to deal with, like we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings and this, that, and the other thing. And so it's, it's, it's a matter of growth. It's a process of learning how to do this. And it does occur over time. But you have to be, like everything else in the Christian life, you have to work at it and you have to be consistent and you have to be persistent. But a lot of churches... Because it's so difficult, anything goes. And some of you have been in those churches. You know what I'm talking about. Or you get the opposite reaction is they just don't do anything because it's so difficult to manage. They just would rather not deal with it. So we're going to deal with it. We're going to invite it. We're going to function in these arenas. Uh, But it's going to require every one of us working together, being patient and learning the process together. Is Is that fair? Is that a... Are you with me on that? Very, very important. This is not an easy thing to do. And thirdly, the rigor of the testing that must be done varies somewhat according to the kind of prophecy being considered. So now I'm going to complicate it further for you. For example, let me just identify two general categories of prophecy. The first one we'll call worship prophecy. And the main purpose of worship prophecy would be to inspire us to worship. The second category would be called, we call directional prophecy. The main purpose of this would be to reveal some insight, some knowledge, to direct us to some particular action. The first category, the worship prophecy, might include proclamations of the Lord's love. Might include inspired prayers or songs. Remember years ago, when I was a brand new Christian, that we'd be in the congregation and someone would sing an impromptu song right in the middle of the congregation. And hardly ever knew who it was, but there was a, it would be a song. 
and it would be just powerful. It might include just simply an, an exhortation to a more fervent prayer or a more persistent prayer or a, a greater commitment to righteousness. These kinds of things you could identify as uh, worship prophecy. A second category, directional prophecy, might include things like predictions of future events or expressions of God's mind about some topic or event that helps us adopt a, a particularly spiritual perspective. In other words, we tend to look at things from a temporal perspective, a worldly perspective, an everyday perspective, but a word may come that gives us, wow, I see God moving. This is God's doing. You know, a classic example is, uh, you know, our, 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 our present drift of our government and, and where we're going and the, and the, the, the loss of freedoms and, uh, and such. And people would say, you know, we, we need to march against these things. We need to complain. Hey, wait a minute. A prophet may come along and say, no, no, God is, God is doing this. God is bringing this about to speak. And, and so you get a, a different, whole different sense when a prophet or a prophecy comes to add a spiritual perspective on some particular issue. Does that make sense? Or it could include directions to take certain actions or to adopt certain approaches. Prophets will speak specifically about those kinds of things. Now, again, these categories are imprecise. They're imprecise. They have fuzzy edges. They overlap. Uh, But the point is that directional prophecy will require more rigorous testing than worship prophecy because the consequences of faulty directional prophecy could be much more serious. Does that make sense? Now, let me give you some guides to discerning these things. And again, these are not really clear-cut. There's always some fuzz around the edges, okay? Number one, conformity to Scripture and biblical teaching. That's always number one, and that's the one we're always going to look to first and foremost. Does this word conform to Scripture? Does this word conform to biblical teaching? The principle is simple. The Holy Spirit does not contradict himself. We can trust that any message that is authentically inspired by the Holy Spirit will agree with biblical truth. Amen? All right. Second guideline is testing the Spirit. Now, most of us are familiar with the physical principle of resonance. Example, if, if, a, if a bell rings, and, and that bell, when it rings, it vibrates, doesn't it? And it sends out this resonating waves, if you will. And if there's a bell close by, another bell, that is of equal size, weight, etc., that other bell, because the first bell is ringing, that bell will also vibrate. That's the principle of resonance. Are you aware of that? And the same thing is true with, with prophecy, I believe. That uh, when a Christian hears the, the voice of the Lord, the spirit within that Christian will resonate. Something will go, oh, yes. There will be an acknowledgement, a response. Now, the resonance, this resonance, is subjective. 
which makes it fuzzy again, and may not actually be present even if there is an authentic prophecy given. So we can't use that, but there is that uh, very real issue as a possibility. In many cases, it can be a helpful indicator of a prophecy's authenticity, but not always. You see, I'm going to give it to you and then take it away from you, right? This is what makes it so difficult. These things are there. Sometimes they're not there. It requires work on our part. In addition, we can test the spirit of a prophecy by observing its tone and its effect. In other words, prophecy is that is harsh. Prophecy, prophecy that is mean-spirited is not usually from the Holy Spirit. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, like the Father, can be sometimes stern with us, but he always speaks out of what? Love. That's right. So no genuine prophecy will reveal a God who is vindictive or cruel. So if someone purports to prophesy and it's a, it's a pounding, cruel kind of vindictive word, uh, we know that, that that's probably not from the Lord. Okay. We can also test the spirit of prophecy according to whether or not it glorifies Jesus Christ. This is, of course, the hallmark of all the Holy Spirit's work, is to see that Christ is lifted up, Christ is glorified, and we can expect to see that reflected in authentic prophecy. Somehow, authentic prophecy must ultimately glorify Jesus Christ, and it glorifies him by building up the body of Christ. Amen? Another way to test the spirit of prophecy is through the gift of discernment or, as Paul says, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Now, a person with this particular spiritual gift can often determine whether a prophetic message or some portion of that message originates with the Holy Spirit, an evil spirit, or simply the speaker himself. Now, having said that, we also need to note that the validity of a genuine gift of discernment is even more difficult to determine than the gift of prophecy. <laughs> it is. I mean, in practice, you know, well, I have the gift of discerning of spirits. Well, how do you know? Well, you know, because I know that you're from the devil. Ah, what do you mean? What are you talking about? <laughs> that requires even a greater sense and, and work to, to discover. So, for that reason, it's not wise to rely solely on one person's gift of discernment in testing prophecy. A third guide is this. Do predicted occurrences actually take place? Prophecies that unconditionally predict specific future events can be easily tested by how? Does the event happen? Right? Now, in the Old Testament, when a prophet's prediction did not come true, what was to happen? That's right. Deuteronomy chapter 18 gives us instructions for dealing with a prophet. If it didn't happen, that prophet was a false prophet. He was to be cleansed from the body, if you will, cleansed from the nation, cleansed from God's people, uh, because he would not be speaking from God, although he purports to be. And so we want to remove that influence. Now, I'm not suggesting that we go to that extreme if a prediction doesn't come true, 
uh, I think we just simply set that aside and we note that and we don't necessarily stone that person. <laughs> However, again, here's another dilemma. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 13, the first five verses, we note the fact that a prophecy can come to pass, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's come from somebody with a true gift of prophecy. Because there were prophets who would speak to Israel and they would predict something and it would come to pass. Now on the surface of it, you would think that would be a self-authenticating, self-validating event, wouldn't you? But then Moses says, but then if that prophet says, go follow other gods, then you're not to pay any attention to it, even if it comes to pass. So you always have to look at the prophet too, not just the prophecy and what follows after that. Satan is not at all uh, uh, insensitive to trade-offs. He'll give you something to bring you to a point of deception. And very often we focus on the temporal in a lot of ways. You know, uh, we pray, bless me, prayers, bless me, and, and we so commit ourselves to that proposition. And when it does happen, you have to see what's, the, what's the, the, the fruit of it down the road. Does it really lead to a greater devotion to the Lord, or does it lead me off into some craziness? So you have that also to uh, contend with. A fourth guide, does the prophecy bear good fruit? A true word from the Lord will produce good results in the people who hear it and receive it. It will produce good results. Again, this test can be hard to apply to a single prophecy, although it is useful in testing a number of prophecies over time. So again, it's going to require practice, growth, and it is important to test not just individual prophecies, but also individual, what do you think? Prophets. We have to test the prophets. One significant guide, I think, as to the validity of a prophecy is the life of the prophet who gave the prophecy. Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 43, no good tree bears bad fruit. So the rigor with which we examine the life of an individual, that can also vary with the significance of the message that we're testing and with the level of the prophetic gift and commission that he or she appears to have been given. In other words, a new believer who does not fully understand what prophecy is and still has some issues of righteousness to work out in his or her life, a new believer could, in fact, prophesy, couldn't they? Absolutely. And so we have to take that into consideration also. But before I would accept a prophecy of any major importance or endorse an individual as a tested and reliable prophet... I have a couple of questions to ask of that person. Let me offer these to you. Number one, is that person solid and stable in his or her Christian life? In other words, are, uh, we don't want them necessarily to be a recent convert. We want them to be, have some maturity, some, some wisdom, and some background, some experience. Are they faithful to live a biblical life? Do, do, do they evidence the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Do they have a viable prayer life? Uh, do they worship? Uh, are they involved in fellowship? 
And by fellowship, I mean not that they just come to church, but they're involved with people who are uh, wise, experienced, and who that they are uh, in, uh, submitted to and uh, can give evidence and testimony to their maturity. Number two, is the person free from serious wrongdoing? In other words, is there a pattern of wrong behavior in their life? Is there some secret in the background that, that, that no one knows about that needs to be uh, brought to the forefront? Number three, is the person free from serious personal, spiritual problems, emotional problems? Again, sometimes uh, individuals who will um, fancy themselves prophets uh, will take on an effect and kind of get weird. And they, they, they just are. They're just weird. But I want to submit to you that when the Lord calls us to be spiritual, he does not call us to be weird. Number four, is this person of sound character and judgment? The gift of prophecy is not meant to be a substitute for balance in wisdom and understanding and knowledge. In other words, you know, I just, I just prophesy. I, I don't bother with this other stuff. <laughs> you ain't prophesying here, buddy. <laughs> Number five, what about the person's motivations? What are their motivations? Sometimes uh, people can be very needy. They want attention. They want recognition. They want status. And so they function out of those environments. This happens a lot of time with people who go into helping professions like psychology and psychiatry. They, they, they have, they're so needy, they have this need, they think, to help other people, when in fact they get their goodies by having other people be dependent upon them. This is part of the tragedy of that whole dynamic. And the same thing happens in the church. You find people in the church who, who are driven to different helping kinds of environments when in fact if you if you get behind the surface a little bit and you examine their needs they are very very needy people themselves and they're trying to get their needs met by helping other people which doesn't really help the other person does that make sense if it doesn't it makes sense to me so that's all that matters really (laughs) are they in essence self-serving or are they truly body serving are they trying to get their own needs met or are they committed to building up the church? Number six, is the person submissive to proper authority? Now, we've already seen uh, how important it is that prophecy be exercised under authority, that it be governed. It would follow then, I think, that prophets need to be submissive to the authority placed over them and over their prophesying. It is wise, I think, for us to be wary of people who are resistant to input, resistant to correction from the leaders, from the elders, to test their prophecies with special rigor. So if someone says, well, you know, God's speaking here and I'm 
I'm a prophet. And if you say that and you're not subject to uh, the church or the elders and the leadership of the church weighing what you're saying and bringing some correction or input, then you're going to know that that's, you're, you're out of order. You need to be subject to proper authority. Now, none of these tests that I've just kind of simply outlined, none of these various tests, either for prophecy or the prophets, can be applied always to all situations at all times with the expectation of an immediate and unmistakable answer. So we have some, some tests, but you have to understand that we're not always going to get the kind of clarity we may be aspiring to as a result of applying the test. Does that make sense? So again, I'm complicating it because it is a complicated issue. And we are fallible human beings, and we tend to cloud things, don't we? So we, again, we, we want to, I just want to emphasize that these, all these tests should be uh, functioned in, applied, if you will, employed uh, in conjunction with one another with wisdom and flexibility and over time. That's the key, key issue. And if we use them in this way, if we are truly open to hearing from God, uh, truly open to responding to him, uh, then all these things will enable us to know uh, what is and what is not from the Lord. And we will grow in that grace, I believe it. I'm convinced that prophecy is a gift of the Holy Spirit that God is restoring in a very special way to our life, to the church of our life of our church. I believe that he wants to see us built up and strengthened in new ways. We are uh, largely a biblical, biblically astute congregation. I think there's other dynamics that God wants to address in our midst. Prophecy is complex, and it will always present many problems. But we are specifically warned not to despise it. We are urged to desire it and to weigh it carefully. Because of its potential for great good, I believe we should try diligently to understand it, to encourage it, to govern it wisely, and I believe we can have faith that the Lord who gave the gift will not withhold the wisdom and the courage to use it properly. Again, Paul says, follow the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word and for your instruction and for the spirit. Thank you that you have gifted the church and made us a body of active participants. And Lord, we've sadly allowed ourselves to become a body of spectators. And we repent of that. And we ask you by your spirit to move in our midst and through us to minister your various graces, indeed, that the church may be built up. Continue, Lord, to grant us wisdom and insight and knowledge of your will in all these matters. Strengthen us. Make us bold. Give us courage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen.